Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. One of the time that I have uh, this morning, I want to uh, share with you another message in the series called Church Girls. Uh, of course, Minister Connie White will be uh, wrapping up this series next Sunday, talking about the woman at the well, the master is calling you, and Minister uh, Cecily um, uh, Smith uh, Jenkins will be sharing this Wednesday night at Aspire. Uh, we're just thanking God for uh, what he's doing and releasing his glory upon his, his, his daughters, the women of God in this church and in the body of Christ. Um, I wrestled with God about this message. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with God. Have you ever had one of those, Lord, take this cup away from me uh, moments? But today's message was one of those. I was like, Lord, you sure you want me to say that? Uh, because I'm going to be talking about Miriam today, and the spirit of Miriam is really the title of it. And uh, I just have to preface this message by saying that there is no perfect church because there are no perfect people. In the, the moment that you walk into the church, it becomes less perfect. Uh, there are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect board members. There are no perfect uh, worship pastors or worship leaders or choirs or musicians. Say amen, somebody. I'm going to come down your street. There are no perfect members. There's no perfect committees, no perfect teams, no perfect ushers. If you're looking for perfection, just, just lo love Jesus, die, and go to heaven, and that's when you will find perfection. But I thank God that this is a, this is a, a faithful church. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, we had our annual church meeting, and we shared that 43% uh, of the people who come to church here are active in their membership through their tithes and offerings. 43%, it should be 100% because we all say we love Jesus, but 57% come but don't give. 43% do. That is uh, about three times above the national average. It's about 16 or 17% of people who go to church that give anything. So this is not a perfect church. Uh, it's not comparing to any others. Uh, I thank God for the, the worship that we experience week after week here. I thank God for the powerful and practical word that comes forth uh, that is taught uh, from this pulpit in this platform. I thank God for the, the hospitality and the welcome that we roll out day after day. Not just, it's not a show. This is something that's genuine, the spirit of hospitality. And yet the message today is a message that God has given me to share with the church that is kind of a warning for us. It's aimed at all of us from the parking lot to the pulpit, every pew in between. 
uh, on how we should govern ourselves in the local church. I'm going to begin at Numbers chapter 12. I'm going to read uh, the story of Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Verse 1 says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. King James Version calls her an Ethiopian woman. For he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he said to them, When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days, and after that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. This is a message about being in a family. Whether it's a natural family, biologically, or if it's a church family. Miriam was the sister of Moses. She was the oldest of that sacred family. The name Miriam means rebellion. Miriam is mentioned four times in the Old Testament. First time she appears is she's a young girl. She's the oldest in that family, and she was given the responsibility to watch over her infant brother Moses, who was the baby boy, when he was cradled in the Nile River, flowing down the river, and it came to the, uh, the bank, and Pharaoh's daughter picked it up. It was Miriam who suggested to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Sounded like a good idea to Pharaoh's daughter. She said yes. And so Miriam went and got her own mother, Moses' very mother, to take care of her brother. And Pharaoh's daughter paid her to do it. Next time we hear about Miriam, it's some, some 40 plus years later that Moses has led the children of Israel across the Red Sea. And one of the first things that happens when they get across the Red Sea is that praise begins to break out. And Miriam becomes a worship leader. She grabs a tambourine and and, uh, Exodus chapter 15 verse 20 through 21 tells us that she is called a prophetess. She begins to release a prophetic sound and and a prayerful and a worshipful sound. She's Aaron's sister. She takes a tambourine. She leads the women. They follow her. So she's a leader. 
They go forth in tambourines and dancing, and Miriam led them in singing. The last time we hear about Miriam is in Numbers chapter 20 when she dies. And she dies in the wilderness, not in the promised land. And then, of course, we read our text, which is one of those four times. Just an overview, Miriam watched over Moses when he was in the basket. Miriam was a worship leader when she, when she led the women after Moses led them across the Red Sea. And now in our text, Miriam withstands her brother Moses face to face because of the Ethiopian woman that he married. Miriam is a type of person. The reason that we're talking about her today in this church girl series is that she represents a particular type of person. She represents the kind of person that says, you better recognize who I am. You need to know who you're dealing with. Don't you know who I am? Miriam is a type of person that expected a certain amount of honor, and she expected a certain type of treatment based upon her age, based upon her experience, based upon her longevity, based upon her role in the family, and the spiritual lot that God had given to her. And if we're not careful, we can take on that Miriam spirit. It's manifested in our text as a spirit of insecurity and a spirit of jealousy. She's jealous of the wife that Moses has taken on. There's a danger of this, this spirit. There's a danger whenever we are given the limelight. Whenever we are, are, the lights are on us and eyes are upon us, all eyes on me, there's, there's a danger of being a leader. Whether it's a pastor, whether it's a worship leader, whether you're given a ministry assignment, whether you're a leader in the community, even a leader in your household, there's a danger because people are following you. But if they're following you and you don't have character to back it up, it's the blind leading the blind. So this message is a warning to our church family. It's a, it's a warning to our, to our natural family members. We have to become comfortable with, with allowing God and giving God the prerogative to, to choose whomever he desires to choose. He doesn't have to consult with us when he makes a decision. He doesn't need our approval. He doesn't need our vote. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our applause to do whatever he wants to do. And so Miriam visibly and vocally disapproved of Moses' choice of a wife. It's a lesson for us. God teaches, teaches uh, Aaron and Miriam the lesson, and, and he uses uh, the, the selection of how, of how prophets were determined. He says, listen, whenever a prophet is chosen, I speak to them through visions and dreams, speak to them in the night or I speak to them through daydreams or I put thoughts in their mind. That's not how I deal with my servant Moses. I speak to him face to face. He knows my form. The people know my, my acts, but Moses knows my ways. He knows my, my heart. He knows me very intimately. And the scripture goes on to say, God even testifies about Moses' character and says he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He had a quiet, humble spirit. Sometimes people take meekness to be weakness. <laughs> Just because you don't go off on them, they think you're weak. 
But Moses is a good object lesson for those of us that are in leadership. And Jesus did the same thing. That when he was falsely accused, he didn't revile back. He didn't, re, he didn't get revenge. He didn't seek to, to, to uh, berate those who were berating him. He let God deal with his attackers. And that's what Moses did as well. Now, when God deals with you, whoo, you got dealt with. <laughs> you don't want God to deal with you. God saw the character of Moses, saw the, saw the grace that was upon his life, saw the, saw the character and the, and the love that he displayed. Moses, God says as a testimony that he has been faithful in my house. He's handled my business well. You know what the business of leaders, spiritual leaders is? It's really twofold. It is to represent God and bring God's word and his will and his direction to the people, whether they want it or not. That's why Paul told Timothy, be instant in season and out of season when they want to hear you and when they don't want to hear you. Because in the last days, they're going to they're going to pull teachers. They have itching ears, which means they want to they want people who will stand before them, who will tell them what they like to hear. So the first task is to represent God, to bring his word. And that's what Moses did. He brought the law. He brought the tablets he brought the will of God, the direction of God to his people. The second task of spiritual leader is to represent the people before God. Is to bring their needs and their petitions in prayer before the Lord. And God says, Moses was faithful in my house. And yet we know from reading scripture and looking at the life of Moses that he was not a perfect man. Moses had, he had some issues. If you read between the lines, one of the issues Moses had, he had a temper problem. Moses killed an Egyptian, y'all, and hid his body in the sand and then went out to try to resolve a dispute between two Israelites. And they said, Wait, who are you? You think you're going to resolve our issue? What if, what if we don't listen to you? You're going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? See, they knew Moses was capable of tightening them up, dealing with them. He had a temper issue. After Moses got the, got the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone, and he came down with Joshua from the mountain, and, and he heard singing and dancing, and Joshua said, it's the sound of war in the camp. Moses says, no, it's not the sound of war. He wished it was, but it was the sound of dancing. The people had, had called Aaron to lead them and, and create a golden calf so that they could worship. They needed a new God. They needed a new leader, and Aaron fell into that sin, and Moses, when he saw what had happened, he threw the tablets of stone down. Now, I know we've all probably seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, how Moses just kind of threw them down on the ground. I think Moses was throwing them at Aaron, and Aaron probably ducked, and they broke. I mean, Moses had an issue. He broke the tablets of stone, and then he told, the, he told his leaders, he said, grind up the golden calf. So now you have gold dust, and he said, put it in the water and make the people drink it. That's like leaving milk out overnight. Your kids forgot and left the milk out on the counter. You come home and say, no, you're going to drink that milk. That's mean. Moses had a mean streak. And then he missed the promised land because the people were murmuring and complaining so much that the second time God wanted to give them water from the rock, he told Moses, this time speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. Again, I don't know if he was swinging at somebody, but he hit the rock with his staff. He got water, but he missed the promised land. 
We need to be cautious of presumptuous sins. God tells Aaron and, Mose, uh, Aaron and Miriam, even though Moses was imperfect, he said, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see, we become presumptuous when we just think that, hey, you know what? I'm just as called as you are. I'm just as spiritually connected. God speaks to me just like he speaks to you. Who do you think you are? Don't you recognize? I've been saved. I got Bible degrees. Don't you know who I am? God is saying, why were you not careful? Why were you not afraid? We need to be careful how we speak to those that are in leadership. The old folk kind of understand what I'm talking about. I was, I was at a men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and I saw somebody who had known me from the earlier days of playing basketball and growing up. They said, I know this dude. And one of the older men said, oh, no, don't call him a dude. But he's really saying, this, this, is, this man is a bishop. This man is a pastor. This man is a spiritual leader. He's not a dude anymore. <laughs> Even though deep down inside, yeah, you know him way back then, but be careful of the sin of presumption. So Aaron, he confesses his sin. Oh, we have sinned. We are, we are sorry. We have done foolishly. Please do not let her be as, the King James says, don't let her be as one who is dead. The NIV says, don't let her be like one who is stillborn. Because the, the, the disease of leprosy causes the skin to die. Her skin became just, just ghost white and, and it's a disease that just, it's like a flesh eating disease. This is the revelation God gave me about this message and as it concerns this church. Don't miss this. That today, God is removing the stillborn spirit from this church. Don't let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its womb. What God is saying that visions and dreams and goals and desires and direction that God has willed for his people in this house of worship, that today he's removing that spirit of rebellion that leads to a stillborn spirit that causes dreams to die in the womb. It causes visions to be aborted. He's dealing with dead saints if you have dead saints, you got a dead church. I don't care how great the worship, the word, and the welcome is. You come in here dead, it's just dead because God cannot move. He, can't, he don't, he don't want to resurrect you. You've already been saved and revived. The spirit of God is on the inside of you. Let me take a moment to illustrate. Let me have that, that steering wheel, my brother. Thank you. Bring that up. So I'm going to do something here. Y'all might have seen this illustration before, but I'm going to do it again. So this is the Park Lawn Assembly of God, Bentley bus. <laughs> it's the Bentley bus right here. Uh, Elder, would you come and join me? Um, take a seat right behind me. Elder Steele, come and join me. Take a seat uh, in the passenger rear. And uh, Elder Greg, come and join me. Ride shotgun, man. I like riding with you, man. He ride with me all the time, man. We done been all over the country riding a shotgun. Just, yeah, just come on in front. 
Just come on the front, man. Don't scratch it, though, man. Don't scratch it, man. We got to watch the hood. This is the Bentley bus. This is the Park Lawn Bentley bus, y'all. We are going to our city and to our world, bringing light to the world. By fulfilling the Great Commission, we give life. By fulfilling the Great Commandment, we demonstrate love, light, life, and love. We are living examples of prayer in our personal life and our corporate life. We are a visible representation of the unity that's in the body of Christ. We live out reconciliation. We tear down walls for Jesus racially, denominationally, gender-wise. Reconciliation, the prism vision, prayer, reconciliation, investment. We are serious about investing and, and making leaders in the body of Christ. Every one of us have been called to be leaders. That's investing. The I in prism, the S, strong families. From the womb to the tomb, we're pro-life. We're not just, we're just pro-life when the babies are in the womb. We, can, we are concerned about how they live when, they, when they're born. The quality of education, the safety, the, uh, the, the water treatment, the, the quality of housing, protection, and, 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 and strong families. We're concerned about our senior saints. We're concerned about marriages, single folk, men, women, strong families. Missions is the M, the prism vision. We're fulfilling the Great Commission. We build uh, ministries. We plant churches in our city, in our state, across this world for Jesus Christ, bringing light to the world. That's our vision. This steering wheel represents vision. It represents where we're going. Elder Greg is in the front seat on the passenger side. He don't have the wheel, but listen, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us if we have all of these things but don't have love, we don't have anything. So love has to be in the front. It's got to be a, a priority, right? Right alongside a vision because you can drive people where, but if you mean and you, you're bitter and you're unappreciative and you're ungrateful and, you know, you, you don't care about folks, so you got to have relationship right next to vision. Right behind relationship, you got ministry. That's Elder Steele back there. You got prayer ministry. Elder Steele, when did the drive-through prayer start? June 2nd? June 2nd, every first and fourth Saturday? Man, we're going to be busy. Man, I like my Saturdays. First and fourth Saturday? Wow. So you got ministry back there. We got prayer ministry. We got women's ministry. We got men's ministry. We got real kids. We got uh, YPW. Oh, no, that's the Church of God in Christ. I'm sorry. We got uh, choir rehearsal. We got ushers meetings. We got cafe volunteers. Man, we, we're a busy church. That's ministry. If you imagine if you put ministry up here behind the wheel, we're we going to be busy. Because ministry just going to drive us all, okay, Saturday, we're going to hear. Sunday, okay, you come early for a meeting, and then you come back Sunday for church, and then we come back Sunday night, we're going to pray. Monday, oh, yeah, I know we got an early morning prayer meeting. Tuesday, we're going, we going to the homeless shelter. Wednesday, I know you ain't tired yet. The Lord didn't get tired. He died for you. Come on, you can't give up on him. This is ministry. This is for the Lord. We do something every day when you got ministry behind the wheel. When you get, when you get relationship behind the wheel, just love everybody. Everybody in the car get what they want. You got kind of one of those family churches. Everybody know everybody. If, if, if we're hungry, what you want to eat? Ministry say, well, I want McDonald's. Relationships say, okay, we're going to go to McDonald's. Now, vision is no longer behind the wheel. Relationship is behind the wheel, trying to please everybody. 
management behind me says, well, you know what? Uh, we need to go to the dollar store to get something to eat. Get some peanuts. They got five for a dollar because, you know, we ain't got a lot of money. So relationships, okay, we go to the dollar store. Now, we ain't going nowhere. We're not fulfilling the prism vision because we're trying to please everybody. We're trying to love everybody. We want everybody to be happy. Now, if management ever gets the wheel, and they really want the wheel because they are right behind vision, and management is always in the ear of vision, saying, I know you want to go to prayer and reconciliation and investment and strong families and missions, but you know how much that's going to cost? Do you know what the wear and tear is going to be on this building? Do you know how much, you know how much utility bills are going to go up? So management and vision always have a healthy friction, but if management ever gets behind the wheel, we got a stillborn church because we're not going anywhere because it costs too much. Take too much time, take too much wear and tear. We just, we just going to occupy until Jesus come, right? We just going to put this thing in park and, and air, we're not even going to run the air, roll the windows down, let some air in here. You cold, get a blanket. That's what mama said, right? Give them a hand. I wanted you all to just see that illustration. But God is saying, I'm removing the stillborn spirit from the church. Miriam represents those like us. And you have a place in this vehicle too. Because Miriam and Aaron, they murmured and complained. They didn't like the selection. They didn't like the choice. They didn't like the direction. There were others in the, in, the, in the wilderness and others in the Bible who rebelled against God and who rebelled against the leadership. We need to watch out for the sin of presumption. God speaks to me too. Don't you know who I am? Don't you recognize what I have? That's especially true when you are gifted. When you are talented, when you are given a revelation, when you're giving knowledge, when you have experience, those are the people that really need to watch out for that sin of presumption. Here's another sin we need to watch out for is the sin of familiarity. Now, Miriam was very familiar with Moses. She changed his diaper if they had diapers back then. She was the one who watched over him. Listen, when you were, when you were nine months old, I was there watching you when you were on that little ark down the river. You didn't even know who I was, but I knew you back then. I know everything about you. That's, that gives an open door to familiarity. Jesus was so, his brothers and sisters were so familiar with him that they rejected him. If you can convince your family that you're saved, I believe you're saved. Don't try to impress me. Let me talk to your wife. Let me talk to your kids. Let me talk to your brothers and sisters because they'll let me know. Those are the hardest people to convince and to reach that there's been a transformation in your life. Now, if you ever, if you ever violate and betray the trust of your family, they're the hardest people to win back. But if you've got them convinced that there's been a transformation in your life, I will believe you. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, tells us about the sin of familiarity and rejection. It says that Jesus left there and he went to his hometown. Oh, he coming home, home court advantage. 
So it should be easier at home, right? No. He was accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James? Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Listen, when you get familiar with a person, you call him dude. I know dude. Dude, man. You start calling by their nickname, by their first name. Familiarity. One of the things that we have to be careful of with this sin of familiarity, in, and particularly as it relates to natural families and church families, is we got to get over sibling jealousy. Sibling rivalries. It happens in the church just like it happens in natural families. If we don't get over it, we, we could be in danger of being like the brothers of Joseph and we could be killing the dream that God has for our own family. And for our future. That's what Joseph's brothers were attempting to do. Let's kill this dreamer and see what happens with his dreams. They did that because of jealousy. That's why the, the Jews and the Roman soldiers killed Jesus. It was because of jealousy. Didn't realize that they were killing their own future. Some of us in our natural families are dealing with this Miriam spirit. And your in-laws have become outlaws. Don't look at nobody. Just keep looking at me because I know y'all looking around. Are they here? Are they hearing this? Just keep looking at me, all right? Don't give it away. In-laws have become outlaws. Some don't get along with mother-in-law, sisters and brother-in-laws. They become outlaws. That's what happened with Miriam and Zipporah. I don't know. The scripture doesn't let us know what happened with their relationship. But these two church girls, they weren't getting along. Maybe Zipporah wasn't giving Miriam the honor that she thought that she deserved. Sometimes ch church folk and family members have a sense of entitlement. Oh, we didn't know y'all was going on vacation. Oh, was I supposed to check with you to let you know that my family is going on vacation? This is my family. Okay, you extended family, right? I don't have to, you're not entitled to know what's happening behind the doors of my house. Now you offended because... You got this sense of entitlement. What happens in the church is that that entitlement leads to a sin of democracy. You know, everybody get a vote. I didn't vote on that. I didn't approve that. I didn't say we should be going in that direction. He didn't ask me. Now you moved into a rights-based membership. I'm a member of Park Lawn Assembly of God. I got certain rights. You got rights, huh? See, that's the sin of democracy. We think that, that membership in a church means that I have rights. We think that because I give tithes and offerings that I have rights. No, when you become a member of a church, you have responsibilities. You have responsibilities, not rights. 
You gave up your rights. You became a slave to Jesus Christ. Slave don't have no rights. Where you want me to go, master? What do you want me to do, Jesus? That's your right to please your master, Jesus. Not the pastor is not your master. Jesus is your master. But he's given you a spiritual leader to submit to them. If you can't submit to your spiritual leader, you certainly can't submit to God. <laughs> Let me bring this message to a close. How do you feel? How do you feel when the music is not played the way you want it to be? How do you feel when the preaching is too long or too short? How do you feel when it's not the preacher that you like to hear? Do you feel like withholding your membership dues? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, your tithes and offerings, I'm sorry. I thought this was a country club for a moment, I'm sorry. Because when you're in a country club, you got rights. People take care of you. They park your car, they, they serve you, they bring your meals, they, uh, and you just simply pay your dues. You don't like what, you, what they're doing, you, you stop holding, stop giving your dues and join another club. That's how we treat the church. How do you feel when other people get recognition and you don't? Does that green-eyed monster, the sin of envy, begin to rise up within you? Do you get jealous when you're overlooked and someone else seems to be walking in favor and recognition? Miriam literally might have been, I don't know, I haven't searched all the scripture, but she literally might have been the first recognized worship leader in the Bible other than Lucifer. But you know, he was a worship leader in heaven. She might have been the first Worship leader, first called prophetess in the Bible, first to take the tambourine and women follow her and she move and they move and they probably had steps and everything like we did last Sunday. But just because you're a worship leader, you have to be, still have to be careful of offering up wicked worship. Wicked worship is when the sound sounds right but your heart motive ain't right. And, and the Lord taught Samuel the prophet the lesson when he was dealing with King Saul and said, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. For the sin of rebellion is equal to the sin of witchcraft. That's why you can be offering up wicked worship and your heart's not submitted. I need y'all to pray for me as I was preparing this message it became more apparent that the weight that rests upon spiritual leadership there's a tremendous responsibility in fact the scripture says that that those who rule well and also minister in the word they're worthy of a double honor but it, there's, there's a weight a glory a heaviness that comes with that a responsibility you know the scripture says the government shall be upon his shoulders in Isaiah that, that's that weight that rests upon the shoulders of spiritual leaders. When I think about Moses and, and his response to the people, it caused him to miss the promised land. I'm like, Lord, please, you got to help me. I don't want to miss heaven for these folks. 
I want to throw no tablets of stone at nobody. I want to strike the rock when you told me to speak it, speak to it. I want to kill anybody in the spirit or kill anybody with my mouth and have to be exiled for 40 years in the wilderness learning again until you teach me the lesson. I love watching movies and in the movie Get Up with James Brown. James Brown has this scene when he's dealing with, uh, uh, what was his side guy name? Uh, uh, Bird, Bobby Bird. And they got into an argument. And James Brown was getting ready to hit him. He said, you ain't going to make me come out myself. And he quickly composed himself again. Y'all ain't going to make me come out myself. I'm not going to miss heaven. You don't want to be led. I'm not going to try to lead you. Right? I'm going to stay right in that seat, though, as long as God have me. Here's a scripture before we pray. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrew writer is writing to the church in Jerusalem. He says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. You're not doing yourself a favor if you got the spirit of Miriam. In fact, verse 7 says, going back, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, day, and forever. When Miriam was struck in with leprosy, that sin did not only impact her, it impacted everybody. Nobody could move for seven days. Because Miriam was part of that family. She was part of that body. And the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're many members yet we're one body. So yeah, you, you got a membership in the church, but it's not a country club membership. You got a membership that you're connected to this body. So you have responsibilities. And what happens to one happens to all of us. So if you got the sin of of, of the spirit of Miriam on you, it's infecting and affecting the rest of the body. We can't move. No one could go forward. Dr. King said, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We're tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what... I ought to be until you are what you ought to be and you can never be what you would ought to be until I am what I ought to be. We're interrelated. We're a family. We're a body. We're called to fully function as a body. The eye can't say to the hand because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. We need everybody. We need every member to begin to function, to begin to flow. To not just have your name on the rolls of the church. To not have a member, a country club membership mentality. To not attend semi-automatically. Depending on how I feel or what I got going on. You have a responsibility. Imagine your heart say, you know what, I ain't going to show up tomorrow. I think I'm going to be busy. I'm going to take off. Your feet decide, I'm going to stay in the bed when you go to work.
we're, we're a body. You have a responsibility to identify your gifts and your calling. You have a responsibility to submit to the leadership. How can I best serve my church? Should be the word that you say when you, when you become a member of a church. You have a responsibility to be active as a ministry volunteer partner. You have a responsibility to give without qualification. Without qualification. To give of your time, to give of your talent, to give of your treasure, which is your tithe and offerings. To do it with joy, not as a burden. You have a responsibility to give back to the community. You have a responsibility to make a difference in the body here because we're all connected. As the body continues to become healthy and strong, you become healthy and strong. But if you're stillborn, if you got a spirit of mirroring upon you, you're killing the rest of the body. It would be better for you to just pick up your offering envelopes on the way out and leave than stay and infect the rest of the body. So this is my altar call and my prayer this morning. May every leprous spirit that's hidden in the heart, wrapped around rebellion, may it be repented of, and may unity prevail in this house. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.